pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your grace to us. Thank you for the words of William Cowper putting that hymn to music and writing down those wonderful words that there is a fount, Lord, filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. Oh, Lord, there's water enough for all of us to drink this morning because of what you have done, that you can quench the thirsty heart, that you can cause it to be a fountain itself flowing. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the truths of these songs. We thank you for these men who give their time diligently to help us, to lead us in song of worship. Father, we thank you for your grace to us and gathering us together this Lord's Day to honor you, to worship you, and not just in prayer, but in singing and, Lord, in your word in just a few moments. Father, we pray that you would help us. Lord, we pray for other churches. We lift up uh, Chestnut Hill uh, United Methodist Church this morning. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in many Methodist churches these days as they uh, depart from uh, this denomination and form uh, local independent congregations. I thank you for what uh, Joseph Augustine is doing, and we pray that you'd be with him as he seeks to shepherd three congregations. And uh, Lord, even though there's um, many things that we would differ in, in belief with uh, the Methodist Church, we thank you for uh, your faithful work in them, uh, that you're drawing them to yourself, and Lord, that you are uh, working within that denomination to honor your word. And so we pray that you would continue to do that uh, within the uh, Methodist churches that are leaving uh, the United Methodist Church after many of their uh, decisions, Lord, to not honor your word. So we ask for your grace there. Father, we lift up other churches in our network. We think of Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, that you would be with them and their elders, Lord, as they seek to honor you and uh, promote uh, and uh, uh, put forth your gospel in that community. We pray that you would uh, do that, Lord, and that you would draw many to yourself through their ministry. Father, we pray for the persecuted church. We think of uh, Kyrgyzstan this morning. Uh, many of your um, uh, believers, Lord, in uh, those old Soviet blocks, uh, Lord, are still persecuted for their faith. Lord, I pray that you would advance your word uh, in life or death for these believers, that those who are imprisoned uh, for your sake, Lord, that you would be there with them this morning as we studied that your Holy Spirit is near, in fact, indwelling us. And we pray that you would, uh, even this hour, be with those in prison cells that have suffered wrongly. Um, just as we have seen in scripture, we think of John the Baptist and others who suffered for speaking out your name. Would you be with them this hour? Father, we also pray for those that are uh, set aside for death, that, Lord, you'd help them to go boldly uh, to death, uh, that you might be glorified. And, Father, it's, it's, it's hard uh, to know that these things are going on, even though we don't get to hear about them in mainstream media. But, Lord, we thank you for your grace, uh, for those that are your children laying down their lives uh, for your sake. Give them grace, we pray. Father, we pray for those that are not yet reached with the gospel. We know there's many nations and tongues and people groups that have not yet heard your word. We pray for the Dabar people of Somalia. Lord, while a small group, uh, we pray that you would um, get your gospel to them, Lord, through the hands and feet of your church in this generation. 
Father, that you would raise up a burden to not just pray for unreached people groups, but Lord, that you would send missionaries to them. And we pray and we're confident that you will raise up workers for the harvest. And Lord, that we would, that uh, future generations could not say that we sat on our hands and just talked about it or prayed about it, but went. And so we pray uh, that you would help us in this way. Father, we pray for troubled spots around the world. Uh, we have received news, of course, of uh, uh, this attack in Israel and uh, many on both sides uh, that have died, uh, civilians and children. Lord, we pray for your grace uh, right now for um, uh, that situation. We pray for uh, those that have been uh, trapped by that. We thank you that uh, Tom Corbeck's niece and, and her daughter were able to get out and on their way to Frankfurt, that you give them safe travel um, to their destination home, Lord. And uh, Lord, thank you for sparing them the, the troubles of what's going on right now in, in, in Israel. Father, we pray for uh, that country, Lord, that you would give them your grace as they seek to handle um, what seems to be a, a pre-planned attack on their country. And Lord, that you would uh, show your grace to many uh, Christians on both sides of the border that would be able to come to know you. Father, we continue to lift up the situation in Ukraine after hearing of this uh, most recent attack on a funeral that killed um, uh, 50 or more um, civilians, Lord, that you would show grace to those families, Lord, that you would um, bind up hearts that are being ripped open by war. Uh, and Lord, you told us in your word that we could expect as the end draws near that there would be more wars and rumors of wars. And so we ask that you would um, give us um, help and faith to, to pray, Lord, for these troubled spots around the world. We think of West Africa with its coups and all the things going on that you would um, just uh, be with believers everywhere uh, to help them to look to you. Father, we pray for those that are destitute in many places. We think of refugees. We think of uh, immigrants looking for a place to live, fleeing from the trouble spots of their own world, that you would, um, Lord, help them to find rest in you and you alone. Father, we pray for those that are grieving. We think of um, the Spenlove family still, Lord, as Roger grieves the death of his father. Um, Lord, we continue to lift up others that have uh, lost loved ones, that you would uh, bring your healing touch. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with our expectant mothers. Lord, we thank you for Sarah. We pray that you would continue to be uh, with her, Lord, as she uh, continues this uh, last um, lap of her pregnancy. Lord, that you would give her great grace and Lord, a, a wonderful delivery um, without complications. Lord, we pray for the Furches family that you would be with them. Father, we continue to pray for healing for many. We think um, of uh, Kitty's daughter and, and, um, and Ken's daughter, uh, Kate, Lord, that she's healing up from COVID and, and its um, effects on them. And for Zoe as well, Lord, that you would just give them your grace as they heal. Lord, we continue to pray for the Corvette's grandson as he heals. Um, Lord, we uh, continue to pray for Dean Mundy, Lord, as he battles Bell's palsy, that you'd draw him to yourself, Father, um, for others that are continuing to heal. We give praise to you for the good news from John Cordy, uh, the missionary down in Arizona uh, with the Tota Odom tribe, Lord, that his um, last cancer scan was clear, uh, no cancer. Um, Lord, we know that prayer is powerful and that you 
hear our prayers and that you are a God who heals. And so we are thankful for this news. Uh, Lord, we continue to pray for Christina, Lord Grabiel, as she had another treatment this week and as she approaches um, her upcoming surgery, Lord, that would you show your grace? Would you touch her um, and heal her, Lord, we pray. We know that you are able and yet we trust you with what you are doing in her life and in ours, Lord, as we walk with them through this difficult cancer journey. Father, we pray uh, again for those uh, traveling, uh, those who can't be with us, would love to. We uh, lift up Star Henderson and her team, Lord, as they're leaving um, on a missions trip. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in Honduras. We thank you for um, uh, what you're doing through uh, the life of uh, Star and Dan's daughter, Lord, in, in uh, Honduras, that you would continue to produce spiritual fruit and not just the physical fruit of um, their hands, but Lord, that you would give grace there to a much needy uh, place, a much needy land, Lord, that your gospel would uh, go forth. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We uh, thank you for the good news uh, from uh, Pastor Tim's heart catheterization this week that uh, there's no immediate uh, situations or warning. Uh, we thank you for giving him health, Lord, in these days to boldly proclaim your word and to minister, Lord, at Christ Alone Church in Wilkesboro, that you would be with them, that you would continue to uh, help them to walk with you. Um, Lord, thank you for uh, good news of um, this woman uh, coming to know you. We thank you for Teresa, Lord, and we ask that you would uh, help her in her walk with you, that you would help uh, Christ alone to walk with her in these early days as a believer. So, Father, we thank you for this good news. Uh, we thank you for what you're doing uh, in our lives and through our families and through the ministry of this church. Would you show your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I trust that you all have Welcome the, the great fall air uh, to um, this season. We're thankful for what the Lord is doing in our lives, and we know that he is faithful over each season of our lives. So as the page turns and we say goodbye to summer, uh, which is grievous to many of us, I know, uh, that we can welcome uh, these fall colors and know that uh, the Lord is gracious um, and displays that through his creation. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 22? We're continuing our study through this uh, amazing first book of the Bible, the first book of uh, the Pentateuch, as we see the foundation that God was laying for the redemption of his people, this scarlet thread, if you will, that starts in the book of Genesis and ends uh, in, uh, f in the future, in uh, the book of Revelation. And we see that Christ uh, has accomplished this, that he is the lamb that is worthy, the lamb who is slain, uh, that uh, died uh, even, as Ephesians says, before the foundation of the world and had his people in mind. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Genesis chapter 22, and for context's sake, I'm going to start with verse 1, and we will read through verse 14. This is God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As we've looked at last week, we saw the very testing of Abraham. We've considered that God indeed is a God who tests our faith. And perhaps you have a testimony of passing a test like we see with Abraham. If you're like me, you know many experiences where you've not trusted God and failed that test. We see that in the life of Abraham, that he didn't pass the test as far his, as his faith was concerned. As we look back at the former chapters, we see that he lacked faith at many times in his life. And we looked at the beauty of the commentary on this passage in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and that hall of faith where no faltering of faith is mentioned. And why is that? Well, we see in the lives of his people that when God gets a hold of his people, that he is indeed the purifier of souls. As we just sang the hymn that our sin is never remembered anymore. And so we see in the context of 
Abraham's walk with the Lord, this test of faith as we looked at in verse 1 and 2 last week. And we notice, notice here that God is the one that's initiating this test, that God is calling to Abraham, and Abraham's response to him is one of faith as we see his humble response in saying simply, here I am. And then came the details of that test that no doubt put Abraham in a mental confusion. That he was to take his only son, Isaac, the one who we've been reading about, that has been prophesied that will come, who finally came in Abraham's old age, the only one that was going to be able to carry the seed to fulfillment. It is this one that the Lord is asking for him to lay on the altar. Have you ever been confused by what the Lord is asking you to do? Has it ever felt contradictory to what he has said formerly? Well, you're not alone. Abraham is here. We don't see the mental anguish per se, but we do see his faith. Notice in verse 2, as we looked at last week, that he is going, he's hearing these things, that he is going to go to the mountain that he shall tell him. And we looked at this last week, that this was going to be a three-day journey. So it's not just that he's being asked to do this, but he's got to think about it too. Over the course of time. Notice here in our text, looking at, starting in verse 3 where we're looking at, we want to understand several things. First of all, as we walk through this, we're going to see that Abraham's faith ultimately trusts what God is going to do. And he does this in a, in a multiplicity of ways. First of all, we see that Abraham's faith produces action, not inaction. And we're going to see that in verses 3 and 4. And then when we get to verse 5, we're going to see that faith pursues God's worth and God's worship. And then we'll see as we walk through this text that Abraham in verse 6 is going to actually do what God is commanding. And he's intending to fulfill it. And so we'll see that Abraham's faith perceives that God indeed is going to fulfill his promises. And then if you look down further, we will see in verse 10 and verse 9 that faith always trusts God's providence and his leading. And then we will see ultimately that God is working in Abraham's life in such a way to call him to perseverant faith. And really, that's what the whole text is about, that God is testing his perseverance in trusting him even through difficulty. And then lastly, we'll see that ultimately uh, worship or faith presents to God um, a sacrifice that is worthy of his name. So let's take a look at this text um, as we walk through it. Look at verse 3 again. Notice Abraham's immediate obedience. Notice he's heard these things and there's no commentary by the author Moses here, but it says in verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Now you might not be a morning person and I don't think that's what's meant here, but we see this as a habitual thing in Abraham's life. Yeah, maybe if you were living in a desert in a tent, you would wake up early too. But notice that this is always connected to Abraham's obedience. 
Look with me really quickly just at three other passages that we've, we've looked at already. Turn back to chapter 19, verse 27. Notice that Abraham, in the context of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, it was announced to him that God was going to do this and fulfill this. And it says that Abraham went early in the morning, same phrase here, to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So he had gone before the Lord. The Lord announced, again, the birth of Isaac, but he also announced that Sodom and Gomorrah would be judged. There was, in a sense there, the dichotomy of judgment and life, promise and curse. And we see that here in the context that Abraham got up early in the morning and was setting his heart and his mind upon the things of God. Turn to chapter 21. We looked at this with the birth of Isaac in 21.14. The same phrase, Abraham rose early in the Lord. This is after uh, it was announced that Hagar should be cast out as the bondwoman and that uh, her and her son were to be cast out, that he was not going to uh, receive the inheritance as was promised through Isaac. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and notice he took bread and the skin of water and gave it to Hagar. We, we looked at that, God's compassion through Abraham towards Hagar. He loved Hagar. He loved um, his son Ishmael, but he sent them on. And he put uh, the water on her shoulder and along she went and they departed in the wilderness of Beersheba. But we notice that God had commanded this and he did it first thing in the morning. And then lastly, in what we looked at just uh, earlier in this chapter, in chapter 22, verse 3, notice we have seen this, that this is exactly what he does once again. He rises up early in the morning and he saddles his donkey and notice the context here that he's preparing uh, for this sacrifice in verse 3. He's going to get the wood together. He's got his two young men as uh, able-bodied assistants. Remember, Abraham is an old man, and he's going to the place which God had told him. First point here. Faith always produces action towards God. What do I mean by that? Well, the Apostle James said it this way, faith without works is dead. Some say, well, they'll have faith without works, but faith that has works or faith that is working always produces something. And what is that production? It's a production of obedience. And it may look for differently for you and me in different times of our life, but ultimately God through his word is calling us to himself. And we, like Abraham, are on a journey. And there's many ups and downs, twists and turns. There's really dark valleys and there's very awesome times on the mountain that we can worship the Lord as we see that Abraham goes to Mount Moriah here in this text. But faith always acts. In other words, true faith always produces that action. There's none of this sitting and waiting in the, in the sense of when we know what God has told us to do. There is a prayerful waiting, yes. There's a time for that. There's a time to seek the Lord, and that's not what I'm speaking about. Mainly in this text, we see an exemplified faith of one who heard God, and even when it didn't make sense, he got up early in the morning and set his face to obey the Lord. Faith produces action. Notice what he does. He not only gets up, notice he has no, uh, there's no commentary on him talking to Sarah about this. In fact, we don't have any record that Sarah even knows about this. 
he surely would get a talking to. Are you sure you heard the Lord? Maybe your digestion is messed up and you had a bad dream and you could hear all the mental wranglings that could be possibly going on in Abraham's mind. But the text doesn't say that. He focused, he got up. Notice he says at the end of verse three, he cut wood. He's intentional. He's saying, this is what God said, I'm gonna obey. This is what God has said, this is what I'm going to do. He cuts the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place which God had told him. And so we see that this took time. Notice in verse four, on the third day, Abraham, notice he lifted his eyes and he saw the place from afar. So there's this traveling that's taken place, going to uh, what we would eventually come to see as the very foundation of where Solomon would ultimately build the temple. We saw that from First Chronicles last week, that this is prophetic in nature as well, that there is going to be a sacrifice on the very place that ultimately sacrifices would be made until the coming of the king. And so we see here that Abraham has traveled. So faith produces action. Secondly, look at verse five. Faith produces ultimate worship to God, that it shows the value, the worth of God. The very foundation of worship is that God is worthy. He is to be treasured. He is above all else. Everything else is trumped by the very name of God. And so Abraham, notice, has this in mind because it comes out of his mouth. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Donkeys are important in scripture. Don't ever ignore them. They're not dumb. There's many, even one of them spoke. But we see here that God is helping them transport what is needed for the sacrifice. And these young men are with him no doubt, uh, long-time servants by the, the terminology here, these were probably young, able-bodied men. In other words, in contrast to old Abraham, there's a lot of, there's a young and old going on here, but probably uh, peers of, of Isaac as well. And so by faith, Abraham tells them to stay. And he says, I and the boy, speaking of Isaac, will go over there, speaking to uh, the area of Mount Moriah, and we will worship. And notice this faith statement. He's going to worship. He knows that whatever the result, ultimately he is going to worship. He is going to make much of the Lord and his word and his command. Notice that there's no doubt that what came to him is from the Lord. It wasn't a vision. It was audible speech. He's, there's no doubt in his mind that this is God telling him to do this, that he is going to worship. And notice these wonderful words at the end of verse five. Don't miss this. He says, and come again to you. I and the boy will go and worship and come again to you. Abraham believed God. Why is this? Well, we know in the context of all that has been promised that it's through Isaac that this is going to happen. It wasn't a figurative language. It wasn't something that he had misunderstood the Lord. God was going to work through this promised son. He knew that. 
And we see the great commentary of Hebrews tells us that what was in his mind ultimately was that, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, but I'm going to obey you. And I know without a doubt it's going to be through Isaac. In some way, Isaac is going to come back from this. I don't know how it's going to happen. And see, church, this is where our faith is challenged as well. Oftentimes, we use our human reasoning to even seek to, uh, uh, we're seeking to argue with the Lord and we end up disobeying him rather than giving full attention to what the Lord is calling us to do. We trust the words of men and human reasoning rather than God. And we see this all over scripture, don't we? But we also have probably more examples in our lives than we care to admit. Well, that just doesn't make sense. Why would you go to a foreign land into a jungle? You know you could die. That doesn't make sense. How in the world, you, you, you have to, to raise a family. Why would you take you and your family to the uttermost parts of the world? Think of your daughters and sons. Well, why are you going to go into ministry? That's a poor paying field. You have your own. You have your own thoughts in things that human reasoning would seem to contradict the very thing that God is calling you to do. Be a Christian? Isn't that like limiting to you? Don't you, don't you feel very constrained? You really believe that old-fashioned book, that ancient text, and yet they don't realize it is alive in the very words of God? You see, faith always produces worship to the Lord. Do you ever notice that in the hardest parts of your Christian life, what is the hardest thing to do? It's not to wake up. It's not to eat another meal. It's often hard to pray. It's often hard to worship the Lord. Your heart is in such a disposition that you're so overwhelmed by your present circumstances that you cannot worship or you don't want to worship. You ever noticed? It's faith, ultimately in the Lord, that produces worship that God is worthy of. As we see in the Gospel of John, that the Spirit is given for such a purpose that we would worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's okay to be honest in church and say, I'm doing horrible, but I'm here. It's faith that says God is able to meet me in my hour of need. And that's exactly what Abraham is doing here. It's a faith statement that God will perform what he has promised. So look at how he proceeds here. Look at verse 6. He takes the wood of the burnt offering. He lays it on Isaac, his son. You can imagine the, even the emotions of that moment the things that Abraham might be thinking, the way that this text is written just causes us to think those kinds of things. What in the world is going through Abraham's mind? And yet there's no commentary on this. He is set to accomplish what God has called him to do. He puts the wood itself on Isaac, his son. Is that not foreboding about one who would carry wood to his own crucifixion? And, end of verse 6, he took in his hand the very instruments of sacrifice 
fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. Now, this text seems to imply that Isaac is probably going willingly. Now, he's no doubt has questions, which we'll see in verse 7. But he's willingly following his father to worship. We don't know what was said to Isaac. It really doesn't matter because ultimately the purpose of this text is really looking at Abraham. But we do know that Isaac is faithfully following the Lord in the chapters ahead because he does live and he is worshiping the Lord as we'll see in the context of Genesis. Abraham was an example to his son about what true worship really is. And he's watching through his early, probably teenage eyes and seeing his father wrestle through the things of his life as an old man and watching his own brother be cast out with his, um, with his, uh, his father's other wife and going out into the desert and feeling the weight of all these different things that Abraham experiences. And now he's watching him and walking with him to worship Fathers, never underestimate not just what you say with your words, but what you do with your life. Somebody's watching. And so here we see the living out of his faith in verse 7. That as Isaac is watching, just like any other inquisitive teenager, says Isaac said to his father, my father. And notice Abraham's response. He's not preoccupied, he's not, he's not uh, just telling his son to keep going and asking questions, but he listens to him. He says, here I am, my son. You almost feel the weight of the emotions in this text. As the ignorance of Isaac becomes evident and the knowledge of Abraham comes off the text, like a, uh, just right off the page to us. He says, here I am. And Isaac says, behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? A very logical question. Most teenagers, if you have them, ask logical questions. And sometimes you don't want to give them the answer or you have knowledge that they don't. But they will not sit still until you give that to them. And so very Logical here, where is it for the burnt offering? But notice that God not only calls and not only commands, but, but God here is giving the very ability for Abraham the means to obey, the means to go forth as he takes the fire and the knife and he goes forth with his son, who he knows is the sacrifice, who he knows that God has promised that God is going to do this. And so we see our next principle here, that faith always trusts ultimately in God's providence, that the way that our life is going or has gone, past tense, or will go, future tense, that we believe that God is doing this. Even the negative that God is working through that, even when you have negative things that happen in your life. God is working providentially in those, not because he is cruel, but the opposite, because he is good. And this is hard at times, is it not? If you go through a miscarriage to see God's goodness, it's hard when your neighbor or your friend or relative dies of cancer, 
that eats up their body. It's hard when you lose your job and you don't understand why. It's hard when you've been praying for that person for 20 years and you've shared the gospel with them that they die outside of Christ. When you pray and it seems like the Lord does the opposite of what you're praying for. Faith in those moments trusts that God ultimately is at work and his providence over all things is ultimately for his glory, but also your good. Is this not the very doctrine of scripture? That God is glorified even in the salvation of the righteous, but also his justice being displayed? We've seen that in the context of Genesis, that when God destroyed the known world at that time under Noah, he was glorified as sin was put in its proper place. It was put to death. And yet he saved eight souls who were not worthy of that, but God saved them in his great kindness and mercy. Same context here in the life of Abraham. Sodom and Gomorrah completely destroyed off the face of the earth, completely a just punishment for their sin. And yet God shows grace to Abraham and says, I'm going to take this one and make him a multitude of nations so that my son will come through this progeny and ultimately bless all nations. Guys, I need this too. We can't see ahead. We can't. In God's providence, we're not able to peek behind that providential curtain. But he is worthy of it. And we know that Abraham was looking in this way because he says these words at the end of verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Great question, Isaac. I'm not going to give you the full answer, but this is what I'm going, this is what God is going to do. Notice that faith always looks ultimately to God, not human reasoning, not human action. Even the action that we were already talking about, that while faith produces action, the trust is not in those actions, our good works. So there's something here for all of us. Those who fail to obey, there's hope. But also those who would put their trust in their own works are also falling short because that's not of faith. You're trusting your own good works and saying, patting yourself on the back. We don't see that ever in the life of Abraham saying, you know what, I did good this time and I can stand on that and my good deeds and bad deeds will weigh out at the end. No, there's none of that. God will produce a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, in the context of all scripture, we don't see the very interpretation of this being prophetic, but there's no doubt it is. He's sacrificing or preparing to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, which is uh, foreboding about the future uh, sacrificial system from the law of Moses. Remember, Moses is the author here. He's connecting these things under the inspiration of the Spirit. And ultimately, it's outside of the city of Jerusalem that the, the Son of God would go to be sacrificed. And we also know at the end of this text that it's a ram that's offered, not necessarily the lamb. So it's not that Abraham's just speaking that he doesn't know. It's not uh, that he doesn't uh, trust that the Lord will provide that sacrifice, there's a sense here that we know from previous passages that Abraham was seen as a prophet. There is prophetic language here that God will do this, and he did do it, and he'll do it again. 
And so, it says at the end of verse 8, they both went together, which probably means that they stopped and had this conversation. You can imagine Abraham looking into his son's eyes and realizing that he is going to sacrifice or do something even painful to his son, but he knows in the end that God ultimately is going to use this for both of their good, and he is going with his son to worship. We also know that faith in God's providence causes us to be ready to obey and to not ask questions and to produce in this way. Look at verse 9. They finally get to the place. Remember, it's been a three-day journey of which God had told him. And notice that Abraham here does four things. It's really interesting in the commentary on this. Uh, John Calvin says, uh, from, from Beersheba to Mount Moriah is about a 20 and a half hour journey. Like, where'd you come up with that? It's just fascinating to me. But yes, three days journey. So if they were doing eight hours, 10 hours a day walking. But it's interesting, look at it. He does four things here. He builds the altar. He's preparing to worship. He lays the wood in order. So, so notice the details here. He, he's laying the wood in order. Remember, he had chopped it earlier before he left. Then he binds his son Isaac. Now again, we don't have commentary here. We don't know if, if Isaac at this point is being um, uh, resistant or not, but um, you would be bound usually because of the actual slaughter that was going to take place. This is also reminiscent of what the surrounding nations were already doing. Human sacrifice was something that was practiced by the pagans all around. It's something that Abraham would have known a lot about and heard about. But nowhere in the scripture does it ask God's people to perform human sacrifices we see in pagan nations and civilizations throughout world history. But isn't it interesting that there was one that was set apart, which we'll get to, a human sacrifice for all, for all time. So he binds him, notice at the end of verse 9, and then he lays him on the altar on top of the wood. The sacrifice is set. It's set to trust God's promises even when it's difficult. And so we come to our next principle here. Look at verse 10. Faith perseveres in trial, or faith produces, or perseveres rather, even when time is getting tough. Look at verse 10. Probably some of the hardest words to read uh, in this part of the text of Scripture. Of course, we know how this turns out, but if you're reading this for the first time, you can imagine this difficulty. It says, then Abraham reached out his hand Notice he took the life, or took the knife rather, to slaughter his son. Notice Abraham's willingness to obey whatever the cost. But, verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Isn't it interesting that throughout the scriptures when faith is tested, and then faith is obeying even in the hardest of circumstances, that that is when God again shows up to comfort, to correct, 
to guide. We see this throughout the scriptures, that even in the life of Jesus, angels showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane to comfort him, to finish his journey. He needed help from on high. He needed that encouragement. He needed to know what God was calling him to do and to fulfill it. And here in this text, as we see Abraham, he is going to fulfill the very act of obedience in slaughtering his son unto the Lord. It's then that the angel of the Lord says to him, Abraham, Abraham. Is it interesting? Remember what Abraham means? Father of many, father of many nations, calling out to him. The very father that's about to take his only son's life, he's saying actually in language, the father of many nations, the father of many nations, stop what you're doing. And look at Abraham's response. Here I am. Church, do we trust like this? Notice the disposition of Abram's heart. It's yielded. It's humble. It's ready to obey. When the Lord speaks, he hears it. And the wonderful words to his ears and to the reader of this text, that now is the updated command that is not contradictory but fulfilled, which is why the author of the New Testament, the very Holy Spirit himself, speaks to the Apostle Paul that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. He says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God. Now, this doesn't mean that God was ignorant prior to this. We know the great truths of Scripture that God is all-knowing. We've just spoke about his providence. We know he knows the end from the beginning. He is eternal. He is the eternal God. But this test in time and space doesn't give God information he didn't have, but in action, in Abraham's life, this test is now complete. And he says, I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We know that from the command of verses 1 and 2 that Abraham loved his son and God acknowledges the son whom you love go and sacrifice. And so we see this final bit of this text. Look at verse 13. Faith always gives us a perspective towards the Lord. It always gives us this perspective. Look at verse 13. Abraham lifts up his eyes and he looks and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. No doubt the ram was scared by what he was seeing, <laughs> thinking he could get away. We don't really know how the ram got there. But we know that it was in God's providence for him to be right there in the text. A lot of people don't think about the ram. I thought about the ram, though. If I was watching this, I'm like, I'm out of here. And got caught in a thicket. But Abraham went 
Notice, and he takes the ram and he, after seeing the very grace of God in, the, uh, oh, in his own obedience, that here our last principle comes to us in the text, that faith presents really the sacrifice or the honor towards God for his goodness that God ultimately is worthy of this sacrifice. And so he takes this ram and notice there's substitutionary atonement right here in the text. He takes the ram and he offers it up where? Instead of his son. He still worships. Just like he said, I'm coming back. My young men who are staying with the donkey, I'm coming back. And he worships. No doubt Isaac is feeling the very relief that he didn't have to feel the burning of the blade going into his breast. He realized that he indeed was not going to be that sacrifice that day. You don't say that this had a profound impact on uh, Isaac's view of worship of Yahweh. That God is gracious, that God is all kind, that God is all good, and God is providing for himself a sacrifice. Church, the gospel is right here. And so it says, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. That is the covenant name Yahweh right there when it's capitalized in your English text. God will provide as it is said to this day, because this story was spoken of many times into the future, let alone through the words of Moses, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Church, right here for us, so many things for us to grasp that the gospel is right here, the same place that this son was ought to have been sacrificed, that God spared through substitutionary atonement by laying down a ram. And while we never see God calling human sacrifice in the Old Testament text, we see that God himself will always do what he commands us to do. And by example, he sent his own son into our sinful world, and he knew the pain of Abraham because he was doing it himself in taking Christ to the cross who would be a perfect lamb sacrificed for sinners and that he would be that substitutionary atonement outside the very walls of this very city that would be there in the future and that God sacrificed his own son and when his own said, oh Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, God said no. The climax of all scripture and the climax here in Genesis is that God will provide. He will make a way that the way things are in the darkness of sin, as we've seen from chapter 3, will be alleviated. How? By the sacrifice of God himself for your sake and for mine. This is why we call it the good news. We are guilty before God. The wrath of God as presented in the pages of this text are very clear. We are all guilty. We, like Sodom and Gomorrah, ought to be burned up in a greasy spot left. And yet God in his grace has sent his own son on behalf of us. And we are left in absolute awe that such grace would be given to the likes of us. And so two applications here from this text. Obviously the principles are application and you've looked at that, but I've gone long enough. Look at this. First of all, the first application. As 
followers of Christ. Are you encouraged by your walk of faith? Perhaps you have a testimony of passing tests of faith. Beware that God will test it again. And do not, do not hold your previous obedience as your hope for future obedience. God is calling you to trust him today and tomorrow and every day as we see Abraham faithfully obeying, even in the cutting of wood and the preparation for sacrifice. Isaac had no idea his faith would be tested to get up on that altar that we are called to be living sacrifices unto the Lord. And so we see that application. Secondly, if you're like me in this room, you look at Abraham and say, man, I wish I had faith like that. And church, let me remind you, it is not the amount of faith that you have. You might feel small in the Lord. You may have never attempted anything in worship of the Lord. You may never have stepped out in a risky way to follow Jesus. But be encouraged this morning that it's not the amount of your faith as Abraham shows here and through his life showed. But we see here the truths that it is the direction that your faith is pointing. Notice that Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And those were in words of the covenant and conversation with God. But when the test of that very promise came into reality in a text like this, Abraham obeyed by action. And so don't never underestimate the things that God is teaching you in principle that you're putting in notebooks and you're gaining in your head knowledge that will be tested in action. And this is where it gets to be so exciting because it's not theoretical anymore. It's actual. That when you trust the Lord like Abraham has exemplified here, that God, just as for you, shows up. And it starts with the sacrifice of his own son. It's understanding the gospel that gives us the very motivation to not only be thankful for what he has done in bringing us to Christ, but also that we are seeing that we can faithfully follow him all the days of our life because he is our provider. He is, as it's, this text says, the one who provides. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It was all that you ever need for the Christian life was provided to you by Christ. It doesn't matter what gifts you have. It doesn't matter the level of your faith that you are looking to Christ. Christ will use you if you continue to trust him and follow him with all your heart to believe that he is able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That Christ is ultimately your focus. That he is your salvation, he is your life, and he is your hope, both now and forevermore. That Christ is to be glorified in your life and in your death. That he is worthy of such worship. The question is, do we believe him? And if we do, we will respond in the same way that Abraham did. That we will see that our faith will produce action. Maybe small actions at first, but God will grow us and mature us. He will produce his own worship through our lives. 
Our faith will produce a confidence in his promises. It will produce a confidence in his providence. It will produce a faith that perseveres even when times get tough. It will give us perspective. It will help us in responding to him in our hours of need. And ultimately, it's going to help us present ourselves as living sacrifices because we trust in the goodness, even in the severity of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. It's challenging to our souls. This hero of the faith that's spoken of, Abraham, the father of the patriarchs, oftentimes we just sit there thinking, wow, these men were incredible. We see the faith of Noah. We see the faith of Abraham here. And Lord, we can be confident that when we trust you and we can look back at your faithfulness in our lives, we rejoice. But Lord, my prayer too is for those who are discouraged. For those who are struggling to look to you when things don't make sense. For those who would say, my faith isn't like Abraham's. My faith is weak. Oh Lord, help us by faith to take the first step of appropriate action and to look to you, to turn our eyes on Jesus, to believe that you are able, that you are worthy of our worship. And regardless, whatever happens in our life, you ultimately are worthy of any sacrifice we'd lay on that altar. And we know from the context of scripture, you're calling us to get on that altar. You are calling us to lay down that we would die. And in the words of Paul, that he said he died daily. Indeed, that's what we need. As you yourself said in Mark chapter nine, if we desire to follow after you, we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross. Just like Isaac took the wood for his own sacrifice on his back. And just as your son took that great block of wood to be crucified to, so you call us to carry our cross, to die to self, to die to our sin, reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you help us to obey you? We need you. We cannot do it on our own. Our faith is weak. We need your help. Oh God, would you, by your grace, make us displays of your glory, that your gospel will go forth and people will know that you have met with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would our ushers come forward for the morning's offering? Let's pray. Lord, you have been good to us in our praying, in our listening to your word, in our singing. And now, Lord, we ask for your grace to help us in this time of giving, that you are worthy of worship. And Lord, when we think about giving, it is not a, a tax to be exacted from us. Lord, it is when you call us to give, it is not because you need our money or the things of our lives, but you want us. You want us to respond in faith to you. And so, Lord, as we give, would you help us to give with cheerful hearts? As your word says, that we would um, be confident that you are going to use these gifts for your glory, that uh, you would send forth the gospel, Lord, as we provide for missionaries around the world, as we seek to meet the needs of the poor here in our own community, as we seek to show your grace and mercy to those who desperately need the gospel. Lord, would you give this church wisdom in using these funds for the advancement of your kingdom here in this place. Give us wisdom, we pray. Thank you for these gifts and for your provision, for you indeed are the God who provides. Amen. All right, if y'all uh, stand, we'll sing one last song together. <laughs> <laughs> 